of a pleasant Sabbath. And praise the Lord for that song. Amen. We have a wonderful place to look forward to, the New Jerusalem. That is where we are headed. And I just want to thank Pastor Clark and the elders and, and you as a church family for inviting me back again. Uh, I was here in January, and it's very good to be here at the Princess Town Seventh-day Adventist Church again. And this time, my wife is with me. And as Pastor said, we have a baby girl now. Last time I was here, it was about 10 days before she was born. And so I was just about to go back to the United States, and I got back just in time for her birth. So we are very thankful for her birth, and we're glad to be back here in Trinidad. And we like coming down south. We live over in the west in Diego Martin, right by Community Hospital. So it's, it's good to be here. Before we start, I would just like to offer up one more word of prayer, and we will get into our message for this morning. Father in heaven, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the privilege of coming and worshiping you here in your house of worship. And I just pray for a special blessing of the Holy Spirit as we get into your word for this morning. This is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. How many of you believe that Jesus is coming soon? Amen. And how many of you want to be ready to meet him when he comes? You know, I'm really excited about this week of prophecy that we are having this week because we are going to be going through passages of Scripture from prophecy that identify the time that we are living in, the message for this time, how we can be ready, and how we can share with others how to be ready for Jesus to come. Amen? Amen. And you know, as I thought about the message that we would start with for this week, the title that came to my mind for this morning is Jesus and the Third Angel. Does that sound good? We have a message to give to this world but let us make sure that as we share prophecy with others, that we do not lose sight of Jesus. Let us make sure that we lift up Jesus at the heart of our prophetic message. And you know, when I was looking at some relevant topics, I was reading from the testimonies. How many of you have read the testimonies? I praise the Lord for the testimonies that the Lord has given to us. And in the very first section of Testimonies, Volume 9, the very last of the testimonies written by Ellen White, is a section entitled, For the Coming of the King. And of course, we know that is the coming of Jesus Christ. Amen? And in this opening was a verse that Ellen White picked to open this section, and it's Hebrews chapter 10, verse 37, and here this verse says, For yet a little while, and he that shall come will come and will not tarry. Do you believe that Jesus is coming? Yes, he will come and he will not tarry or he will not delay at a certain point. And so that's what we want to look at. Right after Ellen White quotes that passage, we read this at the very opening of Volume 9 of the Testimonies, page 11. We are living in the time of the end. Amen? Do you believe that? The fast-fulfilling signs of the times declare that the coming of Christ is near at hand. The days in which we live are solemn and important. The Spirit of God is gradually but surely being withdrawn from the earth. Plagues and judgments are already falling upon the despisers of the grace of God. The calamities by land and sea, the unsettled state of society, the alarms of war are portentous. They forecast approaching events of the greatest magnitude. And how many of you paid attention to the news with a great, terrible earthquake in Japan just one month ago? That was a terrible earthquake, and it's a reminder, yes, Jesus is coming again. Amen? 
And notice how she finishes this statement. The agencies of evil are combining their forces and consolidating. They are strengthening for the last great crisis. Great changes are soon to take place in our world, and the final movements will be rapid ones. Do you realize that once a certain point in history takes place, it's not going to take another hundred years for Jesus to come? Once certain things take place in the history of this world, and we are going to look at those events as we study this week, the final movements will then be rapid ones, and I would dare say that we are on the very edge of those final movements taking place. And you know, that should not be scary. That should be exciting. Amen? Because that means that our best and dearest friend, Jesus, is coming soon. So if Jesus is coming soon, do we not have a message for this time to give to the world? In this very same section for the coming of the king in Testimonies, Volume 9, we then have a section called Call to be Witnesses. This is page 19. And this is what Ellen White says. In a special sense, Seventh-day Adventists have been set in the world as watchmen and light bearers. To them, or to us, has been entrusted the last warning for a perishing world. On them is shining wonderful light from the Word of God. Do you know the privilege we have with the light that has shone upon us as a people here in God's Word? We have a wonderful message to share with the world. They have been given a work of the most solemn import. And what is that? It is the proclamation of the first, second, and third angel's messages. There is no other work of so great importance. They are to allow nothing else to absorb their attention. So our work for this time is to give to the world the first, second, and third angel's messages, which are the last warning to a perishing world. God has given us these messages to warn the world. Amen? And then she says, the most solemn truths ever entrusted to mortals have been given to us to proclaim to the world. The proclamation of these truths is to be our work. The world is to be warned, and God's people are to be true to the trust committed to them. You know, that is a solemn yet exciting trust that God has given to us. The most solemn message ever given to any human being. That means that the message we have, the three angels' messages, are more important than the message that Noah gave before the flood came. They're more important than even John the Baptist as he prepared for the coming of Christ. They're more important than the Protestant reformers. And look, all of those messages were crucial for that time. But the reason why our message is the most important is because our message prepares the way for Jesus Christ to come the last time. Amen? The second time. That is the message that we have. And as I have studied for this message today, I find that that message is encapsulated in our scripture reading for this morning, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 35 through 39. And again, our message for this morning is Jesus and the third angel. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 35 through 39. I'm going to read this again. Cast not away therefore your confidence, which hath great recompense of reward. You realize that we must have confidence in the coming of Jesus Christ. Now is not the time to cast away our confidence in the coming of Jesus in the clouds of heaven because it has great recompense of reward. And so Paul continues, the author of Hebrews in verse 36, For you have need of patience that after you have done the will of God, you might receive the promise. What's the promise? Verse 37, for yet, a little, for yet a little while, and he that shall come will come and will not tarry. Jesus is coming again. We must have patience. We must 
not cast away our confidence because Jesus is coming in yet a little while. He will not tarry. He will come. So what do we do during this time? Verse 38 says, Now the just shall live by faith. I want to take us through this passage and understand more completely what is Paul talking about when he says, look, after you've done the will of God, then Jesus will come. He says, after you have done the will of God, you will receive the promise, which is Jesus coming again. So the question is, what is the will of God that Paul is talking about? He's saying we must have need of patience. After we have done the will of God, we will receive the promise. Jesus will come. So the question is, what is the will of God? Now, there's lots of things that obviously fit within the will of God. You think about all of the instruction in Scripture, that really is the will of God. The, the counsel to worship God on the seventh day of the week, the counsel to be married to one person and to save yourself only for them. All of that is encapsulated within the will of God, everything in Scripture. But if you look in Hebrews chapter 10, which is the chapter that we are looking at, we will find that Jesus Christ demonstrates specifically in this chapter what the will of God is. Just jump back to verse 7 of Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 7. This is speaking of Jesus. Here Jesus says, Then said I, Lo, I come, in the volume of the book it is written of me, to do thy will, O God. And then in verse 9 it says, I come to do thy will, O God. So Jesus came to do the will of God. Now Paul is quoting from Psalms chapter 40, verse 8, and this helps us to understand even better what the will of God is. Psalms chapter 40, and actually we'll read verses 7 and 8. This shows you very clearly that Hebrews 10 is quoting Psalms 40. Psalms chapter 40, verses 7 and 8. Here it says, Then said I, Lo, I come. In the volume of the book it is written of me. Does that sound familiar? Then verse 8, I delight to do thy will, O my God. Yea, thy law is within my heart. So here you have this messianic prophecy where Jesus says, Lo, I am come. In the volume of the book it is written of me to do your will, O God. Yes, your law is within my heart. So, he, so what is Paul talking about in Hebrews chapter 10 when he quotes this messianic prophecy and he says, Jesus came to do the will of God. What he's saying is that when Jesus came to do the will of God, he had God's law in his heart. Do you see that? Jesus came to do God's will, which is God's law written in our hearts, and specifically Jesus in the body that was given him lived out the law of God through his life. Amen? Now, when we study Scripture, we find that God's law is simply a transcript of His character. Specifically in Romans chapter 7, Romans 7 describes the law as holy, just, and good. Now, does that not sound like God? God is holy, God is just, and God is good. And the law is holy, just, and good. And when Jesus came here on this earth and lived on this earth, God's law was written in his heart. Therefore, he did the will of God. Now, you know what's interesting is that later on in Hebrews chapter 10, we find the significance of God's law in our heart and mind. Notice Hebrews chapter 10, verses 16 and 17. 
Hebrews chapter 10, verses 16 and 17 says, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds will I write them, and their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. This is the new covenant. And Jesus is saying, My work as your high priest in heaven is to write my law into your hearts and minds because my law is a transcript of my character and I want my people, my new covenant people, to be a transcript of my character to the world because this is my will. You see that? Jesus came in the volume of the book it is written of him to do God's will which is God's law in his heart and he says as part of the new covenant I will write my law into your hearts and minds so that you can live the life that I lived here on this earth and that is doing God's will so notice what Hebrews 10 is teaching us Hebrews 10.36 says, For you have need of patience, that after you have done the will of God, which is to say, after you have allowed God to write His law into your hearts and minds so that you can live the life that Jesus lived when He was here on this earth, after you have had that experience, you might receive the promise, which is, for yet a little while, and he that shall come will come and will not tarry. So what do we do while we are waiting for Jesus to come? Hebrews 10.38 says, Now the just shall live by faith. You know, the, the message of the just living by faith is the heart of Christianity. And you know, this is the message of justification by faith, right? Because if you are just, then obviously you are justified, right? So if you are just living by faith, you have justification by faith. Now, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 38, is one of four places in the Bible that Scripture says the just shall live by faith. The very first time this is mentioned is in the book of Habakkuk. And this is the Old Testament promise where it says, write the vision on tables, make it plain. The vision will surely come. Wait for it. And then it says the just shall live by faith. Well, Paul liked that verse so much that he quoted it three times in the New Testament. It's interesting, no other author in the New Testament quotes the phrase, the just shall live by faith. Only Paul. And he does it in Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, Galatians chapter 3, verse 11, and Hebrews chapter 10, verse 38. Now let me show you why this phrase is so powerful in the Christian message. Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. This is what God's people are to be doing as they are waiting for Jesus to come in the clouds of heaven. While we wait for Jesus to come, Hebrews 10 says, the just shall live by faith. So if you want to be ready for Jesus to come, you must have the experience of justification by faith. Does that not make sense? So what is Paul saying? And let's look, Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. Here Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Now listen, Paul is saying, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is powerful. It is the power of God unto salvation. And this word for power comes from the Greek word dunamis, which means dynamite, which means it is explosive, which means that the gospel changes your life completely. 
The gospel is not simply a message where you accept a theory of truth and keep on living a life of sin. It is a message that changes your life. Specifically, it's the reason why it is, it, it is powerful is verse 17 says, For therein, for in the gospel, is the righteousness of God revealed. Do you know how powerful the righteousness of God is? The righteousness of God reveals the power of the gospel. And then Paul says, after he says, for therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. Then he says, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Now here is the power of justification by faith. This word just comes from the Greek word dikaios, which means to be just or righteous. Now, it's, just, it's very interesting to me that in the Bible, there is one special character that is described especially as being just. Do you know who this person is? We're talking about our Lord and Savior, our example, our high priest, Jesus Christ. Let me show you three verses. Matthew chapter 27, verse 19, Pilate's wife has a dream and she sends a message to Pilate and she says, have nothing to do with this just man. And it's the same word as the just shall live by faith. But not only did Pilate's wife, a pagan woman, call Jesus a just man, notice what the Apostle Peter says in Acts chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. I invite you to turn there. Acts chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. Here we read, the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob, the God of our fathers, hath glorified his son Jesus, whom ye delivered up and denied him in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But ye denied the Holy One and the just and desired a murderer to be granted unto you. So Peter says that Jesus is the Holy One and the just. And again, this is the same word as the just who live by faith. And then finally, I'll, I'll point you to Acts chapter 7, verse 52. Just as Stephen was about to be stoned, G Stephen says to the Sanhedrin, which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? And they have slain them which showed before of the coming of the just one of whom ye have been now the betrayers and murderers. So Stephen is saying, you know, Jesus, the one that you crucified, he was the just one. So here we have three places in Scripture that show that Jesus was just. Or in other words, Jesus was righteous. Or in other words, Jesus was holy. And He has left us an example to follow in His steps. And that is what gives power to justification by faith. Because you see, when the Bible says the, the Gospel is the power of God unto salvation because it is in the Gospel that the righteousness of God is revealed because the just live by faith. What Paul is saying is, is that the Gospel is power because the righteousness of God is revealed in the lives of His people who live just lives or righteous lives just as Jesus did here on this earth. That is the power of the Gospel. And that is what Paul is calling upon God's people who are waiting for the coming of Jesus. And you know, we as Seventh-day Adventists, we are the ones who are waiting. So this message is for us. We are to be just and living by faith. So the question is, how do we get this experience of justification by faith? How do we have the righteousness of Christ come into our lives. I want to take you to the book of Galatians. And you notice that we're going to Paul quite frequently here. Galatians chapter 2, verses 16 through 20. Well, I'm just going to read probably verse 16 and verse 20. 
Galatians chapter 2, verse 16. Here we read, Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ, and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. Now that is very clear. We cannot justify ourselves. No matter how much good you do in your own strength and in your own effort, you will never justify yourself. And the law, which points out our sin, once you've sinned once, from a human standpoint, you're done. You have no chance. That's why we have to be justified by faith through the merits of Christ. Amen? We can only be saved by Him. But notice, this is very interesting. Paul is saying that we are justified by the faith of Jesus Christ. We are justified by the faith of Jesus Christ. The faith of Jesus Christ is His faith. So how does that work? Well, Paul explains it more clearly in verse 20. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. And this is a very famous verse. Here Paul says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now, the faith of the Son of God is the faith of Jesus Christ, right? So notice what we have here. In Galatians 2.16, we are justified by the faith of Jesus Christ. In Galatians 2.20, we are crucified with Christ. And when we live in our human flesh, we live by the faith of Jesus Christ. So here's what we have. We're justified by the faith of Jesus Christ. We're crucified and we live by the faith of Jesus Christ. So what you see here is that Paul is saying that in order to be justified by faith, we must be crucified with Christ. Now here's what happens. And let's make this practical here. How enjoyable is it to be crucified? Do you think Jesus enjoyed being crucified on the cross? You know, Jesus knew what was coming. And in Gethsemane, he prayed three times, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And again, you see the concept of living out God's will. You know, in our human experience, it's so much easier to end up doing things our way, the way we are inclined to do them, rather than the way God asks us to live. And you know what I mean. We're talking about when your spouse says something that upsets you. You know what you want to do, right? You want to speak back and defend yourself. And you want to let them know, how dare you cross me? Don't you know that I'm doing the best I can? And I'll let you know that you should, ever, should never speak to me like that again. Or when our children do something that frustrates us, rather than calmly and patiently disciplining them, we oftentimes want to just speak in harsh tones and put them down. But what Christ is asking us to do is He is asking us to be crucified with Him so that His life will be lived out through us. So that we can say, Nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of Jesus Christ. So that when I am tempted, so that when the trials of life come, rather than relying on my own human nature, my own fallen self, who if left up to myself, I will mess up eventually if left to my own doing. I say no, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. So that the life that I live here on this earth is Christ living out His life through me. 
And when I exercise faith, because Christ is living through me, I am exercising His faith, the faith of Jesus Christ. Which is why Ellen White says in Faith and Works, page 100, God requires the entire surrender of the heart before justification can take place. Did you get that? In order to have justification by faith, Ellen White tells us through inspiration, God requires the entire surrender of the heart. That's the same thing as being crucified with Christ. To be crucified means to surrender our lives to Jesus Christ 100%. And that's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, I die daily. You see, to be justified by faith, you don't get that just one time and then say, okay, I'm in the driver's seat and I'll be justified till Jesus comes. That will only be true if we die daily and surrender our lives to Jesus and are crucified with Christ each and every day. Amen? And this is where, coming back to Hebrews chapter 10, we understand now what Paul is saying to God's last day believers, Seventh day Adventists, who are looking for the coming of Jesus in the clouds of heaven. And we have this promise for yet a little while. And he that shall come will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith. You realize that Ellen White says in Review and Herald, April 1, 1890, she says, several have written to me inquiring if the message of justification by faith, that's what we've just been talking about, if the message of justification by faith is the third angel's message, and I have answered, it is the third angel's message in verity. So what we are talking about, the just shall live by faith, that is the third angel's message. She goes on to say, the prophet declares, and after these things I saw another angel come down from heaven, having great power, and the earth was lightened with his glory. And she says, brightness, glory, and power are to be connected with the third angel's message, and conviction will follow wherever it is preached in the demonstration of the Spirit. What we see here is that when the message of justification by faith is preached in the power of the Holy Spirit, that conviction will follow wherever it is preached. And the reason why this message will contain so much power it is, is because it is the third angel's message in verity. And you know what the third angel's message is? That's found in verses 9 through 12 of Revelation 14. And yes, we know that includes the message of the mark of the beast. But in verse 12, it concludes with this verse, which says, Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. And you realize the faith of Jesus are those who have been crucified with Christ so that Christ lives in them so that the life that they now live in the flesh, they live by the faith of the Son of God. That is the third angel's message in verity. Those who have been crucified are those who are justified by faith. And those are the kind of people that Jesus is looking for when He comes the second time. So let's look at this passage one more time. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 35 through 39, to see how it embodies the third angel's message. Verse 35 says, Cast not away therefore your confidence, which hath great recompense of reward. Verse 36, For you have need of patience, Remember the third angel's message, Revelation 14, 12? Here is the patience of the saints. So Paul is saying, here, let me explain to you this third angel's message. You have need of patience because in the third angel's message, the, the people who will be ready, who will be prepared by the third angel's message, will be described as having the patience of the saints. Here is the patience of the saints. So Paul says, for you have need of patience... And then he continues on, that after you have done the will of God, you might receive the promise. Now, what did we say was the will of God? 
Well, we saw that Jesus gives us the demonstration. He says, I come, in verse 7 of this chapter, in the volume of the book it is written of me, to do thy will, O God, which is quoting Psalms chapter 40, verses 7 and 8, where Jesus says, I delight to do thy will. Yes, your law is within my heart. So doing the will of God is having God's law or his commandments in our heart. So notice this. You have need of patience, the patience of the saints, that after you have done the will of God, which is God's law or his commandments written in your heart, you might receive the promise. So notice this, third angel's message, Revelation 14, 12. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God. Those who are doing the will of God are keeping his commandments. You see that? So, here again, Paul is explaining to us the third angel's message. You have need of patience, that after you have done the will of God, you might receive the promise for yet a little while, and he that shall come will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith. You know what Paul is saying here? Paul is saying, look, Jesus will come in yet a little while. But before he comes, he needs to have a group of people who have the experience of the third angel's message. And the third angel's message are those who have the patience of the saints, who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Or in other words, those who have patience, those who do the will of God, and those who are just, who are living by faith. And he goes on in the book of Hebrews to explain this in even greater detail because you could say, well, how am I to have patience? How am I to do God's will, to keep his commandments, to have the experience of justification by faith where I surrender my life completely to Jesus Christ? I want that experience, but when I see my life every day, I feel like, as Ellen White says in Steps to Christ, my promises are like ropes of sand and I keep falling in, in ways that I wish that I wouldn't. Lord, help me. I want this experience. I want to have patience so that when the trials of life come, rather than just folding and getting grumpy and, and impatient and angry and frustrated, I reflect the love of Jesus. Yes, I want that, Lord. How do I have that? And so Paul says, look, what I'm talking about has been experienced by many people. If you don't believe me, look at the heroes of faith in this next chapter, Hebrews chapter 11. These people all lived by faith. They had the experience of justification by faith. So you can have this experience as well. But you know how you can have it? Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 4. Let me read this to you. And this is one of the powerful passages in all of Scripture which shows how God's last day people will prepare themselves to be ready when Jesus comes in the clouds of heaven. And this is continuing the same thought from Hebrews chapter 10. Now we're in Hebrews 12 verses 1 and 2. And I'll read through verse 4. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, those witnesses in Hebrews chapter 11, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with what? With patience. You know, that's part of the third angel's message, remember? Let us run with patience the race that is set before us. And what do we do? Looking unto Jesus the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider Him who endured such contradiction of sinners against Himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. You have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. So what do we do? We want to have this experience of the third angel's message of having the patience of the saints, keeping the commandments of God, which is God's will, and having the faith of Jesus, which is justification by faith. How do we have this experience? Well, Paul says, 
let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. You know, all of us can admit that it is so easy to sin. Can we not? It is so easy to fall away from the Lord. And you know what the problem is? We forget to keep our eyes on Jesus. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And you know, Paul says, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. Clearly he's calling us to have victory over the besetting sins in our lives. He's also calling us to lay aside every weight. And he's, because we're supposed to be running this race, you know, if you're running a marathon, you would not want to carry a backpack with a bunch of books in your backpack that give you a map of the race course. That would slow you down, wouldn't not? Now, the maps have good information on them, right? They help you to know, okay, this is the starting point, this is the finishing point, and you're running down the road, and you're hoping, okay, I hope I know where to go. Maybe I should get my map out. But you know what Scripture is saying? Look, there are certain things that may not be bad, they may not be sinful, but nevertheless, they are slowing you down in the race that is to prepare you to meet Jesus to come in the clouds. Lay them aside. And certainly lay aside the sins in your life. And the way to do so is by looking at Jesus. Look, you don't need all the, that extra baggage in your life. The way to run the race is to keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Verse 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Look, he's the author and the finisher. So he helps us to begin our faith. He helps us to finish our faith. We have a race that is set before us that requires patience. And we look at it and we say, oh man, that's a long race. And then I'm going to have to go all the way till the second coming. And there's a time of trouble such as the world has never seen. How am I ever going to get through that? Lord, help me. Wait a minute. The first step is to just start the race. And look at Jesus as you begin the race. He's the author of your faith and the author of that race of faith for you. Don't try to live the entire great controversy in one day. Allow Jesus to give you victory over besetting sins day by day so that eventually you will be in a mature Christian walk when that time comes. Now, what I'm not saying is, is it's okay to keep letting sins fester. No, what I'm saying is, is that every sin that Christ has revealed to you for right now, for today, you look to Jesus, He gives you victory. Tomorrow, He might reveal something new to you. Next week, He might reveal another thing to you. But there will come a point where the third angel's message will reach its final fulfillment, where God will say, here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. They live my life. They have justification by faith. They really have my life in its completeness. And we can have that by faith every day, but there will come a point where God will have revealed everything He needs to reveal to us, and we, through His grace, will have the experience of victory over every besetting sin. Let us run with patience the race set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Now notice this. How do we look at Jesus? Do we just look at Jesus in our mind's eye and we, we imagine Him smiling at us. And I mean, that's good. I, I'm not saying you shouldn't do that. But the Bible is specifically showing us how we should look at Jesus so that we can run this race of patience. Notice what it says. Who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross. Now this word endure comes from the same Greek word as patience. So Jesus had patience as He endured the cross despising the shame, and He is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. So look, you wonder why, that, or that is why the Bible says, and why Jesus says, if any man will follow Me, let him come after Me and take up his cross daily and follow Me. So we look at Jesus and we say, you know, Lord, You're asking Me to 
give up some of the things that I wear or some of the food that I eat or you're asking me to actually be kind and patient to the people that irritate and annoy me. Boy, that, that's going to be a, a tough cross to bear for me. I don't see how I can do that. Look unto Jesus. Jesus endured the cross, despising the shame. He went through the cross. And then verse 3 says, For consider him who endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be wearied and faint in your minds. You're saying, Lord, I don't know how I can go through this. This is wearing me out. This, these trials of life are making me tired. I just wish you would come now. That's why the Bible says you have need of patience. That's why God's last day people will have patience because they will have gone through a similar experience to Je as Jesus did as he went through the experience on the cross. And in order to pass through that experience, we must learn to keep our eyes on Jesus. Because the devil will want us to take our eyes off of him and he'll say, look at those people that are annoying you. Aren't they so irritating? Aren't they so frustrating? Why don't you just tell them off right now? They've really vexed you. You tell them. Yeah, that's what you do. No. We look at Jesus. We look at him on the cross and he's saying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That is what it means to have patience. Jesus endured such contradiction of sinners against Himself, and we're called to look at Him in such a way, lest we be wearied and faint in our minds. And then verse 4, He says, You have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. You know, that's what Jesus did. Jesus went all the way to the cross and died so that we could have salvation. And He... The Scripture says he, in 1 Peter 2 that He has given us an example that we should follow His steps. But you know, the human thing to do is when the trial gets really hard is to say, well, I followed the Lord up till this point, but this is just too much. This would kill me if I had to follow the Lord on this point. The Bible says you have not yet resisted unto blood striving against sin. Scripture is saying, by faith, when you are crucified with Christ and you exercise the faith of Jesus, when those trials come, your natural inclination will be to fight back, but yet you're crucified with Christ. So instead of fighting back and showing your old self, what comes out are the words of Christ. How many of you would like to have that kind of an experience? To have Jesus coming through your life when the test gets really hard, it gets really severe, at that moment by faith you say, Lord, please help me because right now I want to speak back. I want to get angry. I want to be mean. But I've surrendered my life to you. I die. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And so instead of fighting back, you smile and you say something that Jesus would say in that instant. And that is the third angel's message. Because you see, yes, we have these prophecies. Yes, we have this knowledge of the time that we live in. But what the world needs is for God's last day people, the people that are looking for the coming of Christ, to experience the third angel's message, which means to have patience. When the trials of life come, we demonstrate the character of Christ. It means to do the will of God, which is God's law, which is a transcript of His character in our hearts, shining forth, which means that we are just, or we have the experience of justification by faith and live by the faith of Jesus. When we have that experience, as Ellen White says in Review and Herald, April 1, 1890, she says, quoting Revelation 18.1, After these things I saw another angel come down from heaven, having great power, and the earth was lightened with his glory. And she says, Brightness, glory, and power are to be connected with the third angel's message, and conviction will follow wherever it is preached in demonstration of the Spirit. And you know, you know why the third angel's message will have so much conviction? Because those who are preaching it will be a living demonstration of Jesus Christ. And people will say, 
I've never seen that before. If that's what Jesus is like, I want to be that kind of a Christian too. Amen? And here in Princess Town, that is the kind of people that God wants us to be. Amen? Now let me close by reading the last two verses of our passage. We've read verses 35 through 37. Notice what Paul says in verses 38 and 39. Now the just shall live by faith. But notice, but if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. Verse 39, but we are not of them who, who draw back unto perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. Look, as God's last day people, God has given us more light and more knowledge than any other generation who has ever lived. And he is saying, if any man draw back from the precious truths that have been given to you as a people, my soul shall have no pleasure in them. But then he says, but we are not of them that draw back unto perdition. We are of them that believe to the saving of the soul. Now, you know what it means to draw back to perdition? In Revelation 17, it talks about that end-time power that goes into perdition. So there's going to be two groups of people at the end of time. The group of people who experience the third angel's message. They have the experience of justification by faith. They have the patience of the saints. They keep the commandments of God. And then you have the rest of the world who wonders after the beast that goes into perdition. But we are not of that people. Amen? We are of them who will believe to the saving of the soul. So I challenge you here in Princess Town today. When we think of the third angel's message, let us think of the third angel's message with Jesus at the very heart of that third angel. Because the third angel's message says, Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Jesus demonstrated patience. He endured the cross. Jesus kept the commandments of God. He lived out God's will here on this earth in His human flesh. Jesus shows us how to exercise faith His faith. So when we think of the third angel's message, let us think of Jesus. Jesus on the cross. Jesus exercising His faith. And now Jesus in heaven as our high priest helping us to have that same experience. And let us look into Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Amen? As we go throughout the rest of this week, we are going to see how Scripture clearly identifies us as God's people, the people who have the third angel's message, how we are identified in prophecy, what our message is, and how we should be living our lives, and also how Satan will try to deceive us at the end time. So I hope that you'll be here for each of our messages. It's going to be an exciting week that I hope that as you come to the end of it, that this church will be in a greater state of revival, prepared to meet Jesus in the clouds of heaven. Because that's why we are here, amen? We are here to meet Jesus. So this time, I would like to invite our song service team up to have our closing hymn. And then following our closing hymn, we will have our closing prayer. So may God bless each one of you. And I look forward to seeing you tomorrow evening at 6.30. Amen?